Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 6. Let of My Blood is over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Book Club Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. No Terry Schwartz this week. Again, she's the worst. No, just kidding. She's great. She is in Germany. She cannot be here for the podcast, but we have another great guest here on the Game of Thrones Book Club filling in her shoes. It is not the Lord of Somerville Hall, but he did spend a lot of time in River Run It Up Reno the other week. Uh, he survived <laughs> He survived the Red Wedding of Podcasts known as the American Horror Story Show here on Post Show Recaps. It's none other than the Backfish himself, Stephen Fishback. <laughs> backfish, that's great. Hi, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited to be podcasting with you again because... The last you know, time we, we did it, it was not so great. <laughs> yeah, we did American Horror Story. We, we both were kind of bored and, and like miserable and like forcing our way yeah. through it. And I want to see if we have pod chemistry. All right. We will find out if we have Podrick Payne chemistry uh, <laughs> as we as we chart through a, a show that you and I both like genuinely really like. Yes. We, uh, both, I, you know, I think fans of the books, fans of the show. So it's uh, exciting to uh, talk about something fun. Fans of the books, fans of the show for the like five people out there who have never heard of a Stephen Fishback or a Backfish before. Stephen is the survivor know-it-all. He is the, the king of the universe in that in that corner of RHAP, two-time Survivor player, veteran of post-show recaps, podcasted with, with me about American Horror Story Hotel. That was quote-unquote fun. We had a really quote-unquote good time with that podcast. <laughs> and now, now we are talking about Game of Thrones here. For those of you who are wandering into the Game of Thrones book club for the very first time, maybe some of you who are excited that Steven is here talking about Game of Thrones, let me just caution you as I always do. This is the Game of Thrones book club where we talk about the show from the perspective of people who have read the books. So anything from the books is fair game to talk about here. Potentially some spoilers ahead. Lots more from the books happening on the show than maybe we expected coming into season six. So proceed, proceed with caution. And Steven, you're you're a fan of the books. Did you read the books before you started watching Game of Thrones or did Game of Thrones get you into A Song of Ice and Fire? I I read the books before I started watching Game of Thrones. Um, I was about three books in, I think, when the series was announced and uh, and then, you know, read read, read books four and five and slog I'm, I'm a slow reader anyway, and those are very really? long books. How and long does it take you to, to get through a, an average George R. R. Martin? I mean, an average George—that's like the the longest average. You know? <laughs> and like, some of them move. You know, like book yeah. three, you just like zoom through. Yeah, and then, and then book four, it's like like an entire chapter of Sansa walking down a mountain. Like to me, that was like what was everything that was wrong with right. it. With, uh, so you with, must be really excited that Brienne of Tarth is heading to the Riverlands. Yeah, like, I can't is, wait for this. some adventure. <laughs> no, I mean that's like what, one of the wonderful things about the show. And I was like kind of out on the show in the beginning just because I was like, oh, I've seen this, I've read the books, I've got like my own mental image. And then and the show was so good that it that it seduced me. Um, and obviously one of the huge advantages is it kind of like cut out a lot of that wandering around, like sort of aimless wandering around. Yeah, I think that we're in for some meandering, though. I think that we... Oh, I mean, really? I think, like, I think it might be fast-forwarded meandering, but I bet we're going to get a little tiny bit of meandering. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll we'll see about that as Brienne heads... Everyone's going to the Riverlands right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... I'm surprised that... The, I, I thought they might just, like, ignore that story altogether. It is interesting that that, that, that whole storyline is, is coming... like to, it's important. Might be important. Yeah. So yeah. we'll talk all that through. So what have you been thinking about the season so far? This is the first season... Well, it's not completely off-book, but it's mostly off-book, at least the major storylines. Jon Snow is back to life. That has not happened in the books. Daenerys was last seen with Dothraki at the end of A Dance with Dragons. Now she is leading the Dothraki. That's not in the books yet. Lots of major storylines on the show have moved past the books and maybe are taking divergent paths from what's going on in the books. I'm curious if you like that or if this is, you know, if this is rubbing you the wrong way. For me, I've been enjoying it. What's your take? 
I've really been enjoying it. I mean, I think it's like good TV. It's felt a little frenetic and it like, it almost like feels like you can tell it's off the books. Um, you know, there's a lot of big events that have been sort of done in this, that, that to me have seemed kind of, you know, you want them to feel iconic and huge and epic. And then to me, they've seemed like a little bit like shoehorned in there. Like certainly, you know, I think everyone felt the same way, right. About Jon Snow's resurrection. It was like, wow. Like, you know, sort of sudden kind of random that it came from like Davos of all people to be like, you know what, let's try that. Let's that, do that. that let's give that a whirl. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, you and I, I complained to you about, about the, the white Walker reveal about how they showed their origins. I felt like it was a little bit shoehorned in for like the creation story of like the epic big bad. Yeah. So what was your, what was your big issue with that? Cause that's current events. What was your, what was your big problem with the reveal that the children of the forest created the white walkers? Cause I think that that was a thing that a lot of book readers were theorizing was possible. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like I think I would have been, I think I am okay with that as an idea. I mean, you know, the the joke I joked to you was that like that the the White Walkers are you know eco terrorists right you're creating a weapon against the human logging industry right um like it just seems like a little bit like a little I don't know kind of weak uh, the thing I didn't like was how fast it happened in the show you know like such a big show such like a great a great you know show that week right that was that the door. was a yeah, whole yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. yeah fantastic episode um and and just like. I felt like that needed some more breathing room, like that moment of like, wow, like this is how the white walkers were created. Like this is the first one. And instead you just get like kind of a, a 30 second flashback to some guy getting like a death knife stabbed into his heart. <laughs> I and it was think, like, yeah. I, and I think when you contrast that with this week, which I think a lot of people have actually enjoyed maybe more than I did, this is probably my least favorite episode of the season. But I think that a lot of people, you know, like you look at the, at the Sam scene from this episode, you know, like that whole side trip to whole, Hill, which takes like 20 minutes. And then you compare that to the White Walker creation being a blink of the eye, uh, you know, a two minute scene. Uh, You do wonder about, you know, sort of the the screen time economy there. And if that was the wisest use of 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 storytelling. But you and you in, the, in your last podcast speculated that maybe they'll give that more room in the future. Like let that breathe a little more. Go back to that. And I think that's that's a great suggestion. Like look at you listening to an episode I, of the Game of Thrones book club. Doing yeah, you know, research. I'm trying. To, yeah, exactly. Got to go in knowing my opponents. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I did like. I really loved. And I think everyone really loved. Right. The Hodor reveal. Like in terms of you know as as a, a moment where the show did something really incredible and special in a way that like almost that all you know TV. TV show really only can do the way they flash back and forth between between moments on screen. I thought that was just, you know, that was one moment where like this season really uh, pushed itself and the whole series forward. What do you what are your thoughts on something like that? When, you know, when David Benioff and Dan Weiss, they say the showrunners of, of Game of Thrones, when they say that the Hodor reveal comes from George R. R. Martin, you know, we were in a hotel room with George R. R. Martin getting our, you know, our yearly download of what's going on <laughs> in Game of Thrones. And he told us what hold the door was and what Hodor really meant and we were horrified by it so they're confirming that this is a george rr R. martin plan does it give you comfort that this comes from george rr R. martin or is this the kind of thing where you're bummed to know that this is also happening in the books and the show got there first no i mean i'm delighted you know i i'm I, i'm sure i'm sure that the books and, and right they're now going to diverge and probably like almost out of like willfulness from from right george rr R. martin like, willis fullness Will is full, right. They're going to diverge even more. 
uh, than they maybe even originally planned to. But y- you do kind of want the sense that there's like some, um, you know, some sort of like plan or some sort of benchmark. And it's not all just like haphazard, you know, lost style. Let's like make it up as we go along. Hey, um, stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Go yeah. easy. Yeah. And that there's like some kind of guideposts and that may, like at least like the, the, the major plot points will 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 correspond and, you know, the Hodor reveal. You know, if, if it was like a random, you know, Benioff Weiss creation, you know, I, that would I, I would be such like, an extreme deviation. It's like, yeah, we're just going to give this show the most unbelievable sci fi horror twist with your, you know, the most universally beloved character in the entire show. We're just yeah. going completely off script on that one. What if you were responsible for for creating that? What if like, you know, George R. R. Martin was like, you know what? No, no guideposts for Hoder. Like, do with that what you will. Do you have any? Would you have a different preference? No, I think that that's great. I mean, I, I think that that would be a very extreme direction to take it if that wasn't coming from George R. R. Martin. I think the biggest implication of it is obviously that this whole time travel thing that we're getting into with Bran um, is not just a show invention. That this is something that George is getting into in the books, and who knows how much he's getting into it. Is it just for the Hodor thing? And we don't even know yet if this is just for the Hodor thing. This has been a big conversation this week coming out of the brand visions uh from beyond the wall that kick off the episode here where Bran is seeing visions of the Mad King. I don't yeah. know how much you've paid attention to this, Stephen, but there have been a lot of theories that have been kicking around over the past few weeks that now that we know that Bran can kind of influence the past or impact the past, uh, and, and those impacts are felt throughout history, it's kind of whatever happened happened, to call it back to Lost Rules. Those are things that always happened. Some people think that Bran is going to attempt to interfere with the Mad King and try and thwart Robert's Rebellion, maybe stop it from ever happening, and he is the person that pushes the Mad King into crazy pants mode? Do you that makes like, him mad. Do you, do you like that? Do you think that that's way too far? How do you in, and more broadly, like how do you see the time travel element of the show factoring into the grander picture of the story? I mean, you you know you know me and I how I feel about about fan fiction. Uh, you in, love it. I yeah. you are um, you are the chief architect of the Valyrian foil hat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, that seems a little like, you know, we, there've been a lot, there's been a lot in the books, right. About how the Targaryens have like a history of madness in Flip them a coin and either they're great or they're terrible. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, certainly it's a fear of Daenerys's that she's going to be crazy. You know, I think if anything, this last episode, you know, you see more of that threat with Daenerys that she's going to be like actually crazy. So yeah. the idea that the Mad King's madness would be, you know, brand messing around with history, like then, then it becomes like too much like wacky time travel antics with Bran. You know, I think maybe we'll, we'll probably see like one or two big other moments. Um, but that seems like a step too far, at least for me, you know, in terms of like that sort of like a character detail that I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly willing to be wrong about that. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that it's, you know, it takes a lot away from what we know about Targaryens. You know, as you said, it's kind of the coin toss of either they're, you know, they, they have their shit together or they don't. And that's a great part of the tension with Daenerys. Uh, and I think that we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit in a few minutes. Um, but I, I think that the only thing that I like about it, if Bran is somehow responsible for the Mad King and all of that madness 
Chris's brand's fault is that the same person, we talked about this on the live show earlier in the week, the same person who pushed Bran out a window and crippled him and gave him, you know, the great physical disability of his life would right. also be the guy who undid this horrible damage uh, or at least stopped the damage from being any worse uh, in Jamie Lannister being the guy who King slays Eris and kind of there's there feels like some sort of right. karmic full circle aspect to that but I don't think that that's enough of a narrative win um, to compensate for really taking that agency away from Eris Targaryen I think that that's really historically important to the show and I, you know I think that the fact that you know you've we've already used that plot point as a way of redeeming Jamie right like the first thing you know about Jamie is he's the Kingslayer he's this double crosser he abuses duty and then you see that you know then we've already seen that it was actually like positive and he you know stopped you know stopped the the entirety of of, uh, of King's Landing right. from getting burned to the ground so like that plot point has already been used as a way to like shift our perspective and redeem Jamie in a way and like to do it again you know like it seemed would be a little bit unnecessary maybe even cheapening from my perspective yeah I don't think that we need to see it uh, it was cool to see in the vision though and you know I don't think that that's there without a reason and I'm yes. not I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head for why did we why did we see that why did we see the Mad King Eris and all of the visions that Bran could possibly have right now like why are we not just getting an R plus L equals J confirmation <laughs> in the first minute of this it episode it does seem like Bran's consciousness is going everywhere but like the one place we it's all like, want it to go focus up kid focus yeah. <laughs> yeah. come on yeah um, uh, but why Why do you think he's seeing that? Like, what do you think is the greater importance of reminding viewers of the Mad King? And I mean, it wasn't even explicit. So I think that you kind of have to know a little bit about Westeros history to understand what that was. Uh, yeah. But why is that on the show right now? And, and you see, uh, you know, like that, I, I mean, certainly it seemed like it could be foreshadowing for what is, what's going on with Daenerys, right? In terms of like Bran seeing this history of Targaryens wanting to burn them all. And then you're like, then you've got Daenerys on her dragon, like right. wanting to burn them all. Um, well, I was curious about like, you know, all of that. Um, oh my gosh, what's it called? The green stuff. Yeah. The, the wildfire. Wildfire. Yeah. Um, you know, the Ecto Cooler. Is that like setting up a plot point where like is King's Landing for like for sure going down? Like is, is this Caesar series yeah. ending definitely yeah. with like a King's Landing in flames? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I didn't really appreciate this until this morning when I was reading um, an interview with Jack Bender, the director of the episode on Vulture by Jennifer Vineyard. And uh, she wrote about it as though it was possibly a foretelling of future of events. And for me, I just kind of figured that must have been something that happened during the sack of King's Landing at the end of Robert's Rebellion when Aerys Targaryen is put down. I just linked those two together. But I don't, I mean, you would think that King's Landing would have been really napalmed if that had happened in King's Landing. So is that from the future? Is that something that's coming up? I've been uh, very vocal about this on the podcasts that I think King's Landing is going down. Um, yeah. And I, and I do think that it's going to be, you know, that's going to be derived from the Lannisters really overplaying Cersei specifically. I think that everything that she's doing with the mountain is building us in the direction of some sort of raising of King's Landing as the center of human civilization in the Seven Kingdoms. I agree. There's going to be a huge cat. It's going to be like, and, and ending like Lear where like the whole thing is yeah. 
spoiler alert if you haven't read it here, <laughs> you know things things don't seem like they're going to improve that much you've got like yeah. you know like a few like kind of crappy dukes being like yeah we'll, we'll we'll pick it up from the wreckage but like the world is is effed right not well not to say that the world is effed but i think king's landing is boned i think king's right. landing is definitely going to get torched i just hadn't considered wildfire being a part of it and i don't think that we've really seen bran looking into the future very much so right. if this is a future glimpse then that's very troubling uh very troubling that wildfire might be coming king's landing's way i guess i kind of just thought that uh sir robert strong was just going to go around smashing every single individual head into a wall and I thought the, oh, that would be I, the I, end of king's landing and that's it's just like one by one yeah, yeah. Just line them up every time someone goes to use the bathroom yeah. they're done yeah so um, everyone like either dies by getting their head smashed into a wall or they die of uh holding it for too long yeah liver failure yeah, yeah. um the um or kidney failure. the the uh I, I thought it was like a, a flashback to when he laid all that stuff there that was just never because isn't it established in the books that the king's land like the, is like there's like a whole wealth of wildfire beneath king's landing yeah i mean that's what they used in uh at the blackwater you know that's why they right. have all that stuff so i mean there definitely is a well of it but that's why it's also like possibly frightening that that could be uh and i think that there's a theme and i think that one of the things that you got to appreciate about the children of the forest created white walkers to destroy mankind and then their own nuclear weapons were turned against them and george r, yes. r. martin i think this story for him is very anti-war as gruesome right. as it gets and you know as barbaric as it gets and how fun that can be sometimes on a visceral level i think that he is really condemning violence throughout you know the vast majority if not the entirety of the story and i think that there would be some irony in um and and some symmetry with this whole white walker creation being you know the monster that turned against the creator that the wildfire the nuclear arsenal of king's landing would be what's responsible for king's landing's downfall and it's like chekhov's wildfire you know you see the wildfire container it has to explode I think that's right. I think that's right. So I think maybe that's why we have the Mad King in there. Uh, There's still stuff beyond the wall that I want to talk about. But since we're on the topic, so you think that the Mad King's inclusion here and you contrast that against Daenerys Targaryen at the end of the episode. Uh, She is, you know, she is, you know, barking mad at her people. At first glance, I think it seems like, you know, kind of an uproarious rally cry like, let's go do this. We're going to go to Westeros. And everyone's excited because you want Danny to go to Westeros. But then if you do look at it from a different frame it is very similar to like the call drogo speech from season one which yeah. was also cool but was also basically talking about like yeah let's go over to westeros and like rape everybody and do all these horrible things and i don't think danny's suggesting that but she is talking about it in terms that are kind of really you know on a blanket level pretty violent um do you think that the show is gearing us toward uh a danny who's going to air more on the side of her father than maybe some people are expecting yeah i mean the, her whole reason for like staying in marine right was so that she could like learn how to govern and prove she could govern and uh that's been a wash and so now she's like you know what forget that like forget the governing that's that's a mess like let's go with like the like plan a of like uh the pillaging and and the destruction i think so you know i think that you know you see um Oh my God. Why is my name blanking? Why am I blanking? Um, you know, daggers, Dario, Dario. Dario. Yeah. And like, he's like, you're a conqueror, not a ruler or whatever. And then he's like, you know, and she's giving this whole speech and like Dario doesn't look hyped. You know, Dario looks worried. Yeah, no, he doesn't seem to like it. Uh, I mean, I think that he likes conquering, so I think that he would be into, you know, just doing all of that, but I don't think that, yeah, he doesn't seem to be, I don't think that he seems to be loving the message that she is delivering at the end. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for reasons of her, maybe for as much as like, you know, his, I'm sure he loves battle, but like, he doesn't seem that like, you know, and, and then you've got the, the, you know, the Dothraki doing like circles on their horses. This is not like a stable, you know, a stable uh, rain that's about to be brought to Westeros. You can't control them. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Dothraki are not people that you're really going to be able to like march over to Westeros and say like, Hey, kill those people, but don't kill those people. Right. And it's like clearly setting up, right? Like some kind of alliance. Well, so here's my question, right? Like, you know, Danny's like, we need a thousand ships. Well, who's got a thousand ships, right? Yeah, the great yeah, joy, yeah. the great joys are building a thousand ships. Um, is this setting up an alliance between the great joys and, and Danny, or is this, you know, is, is this going to be, you know, Danny's going to like kill the, the ironborn and get their ships. What a tragic ending that will be for Theon Greyjoy, you know, cause you know, him, <laughs> him, and, him and Yara, they have escaped. Uh, they've escaped the iron islands. They've got a thousand ships with them approximately probably they've got the best ships in the fleet according to euron um and they i would i would think that they are probably heading to marine to align with danny i just feel like that makes sense because you see danny needs those ships she needs to get across there i feel like she could be simpatico with yara i feel like both of them have no love for the noble houses of westeros i think you could see their interests aligning but there is the possibility that Danny could just turn to them and burn them with dragon fire immediately. That would be really a kind of, <laughs> so that's a Quentin Martell. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, we maybe, didn't get a proper Quentining in, in this in the show. So yeah. yeah, maybe maybe Theon can be uh, the the dragon tamer of the books. But I think in the books there is um, you know there's Victorion is the guy who comes to Marine to right. to well, Daenerys. I, I actually thought that it was going to be Euron who makes it to Marine first. Is the, I mean that as a sort of stand-in for Victorion. Right. Um, you, you, you thought that it was, you thought that's where uh, Yara and Theon were going. And I, and I still do. And I think that in the books, the way that it seems like it's going to play out is like Victorion is going to make, you know, some massive overture to Danny yeah. and like, let's team up. And then I think that guy is going to be met with immediate dragon fire. And I think that he's toast. I think that he will be wiped out quickly. He's a horrible guy. No one wants to see him succeed. But he's got uh, red magic on his he side. He does have red magic on his side, but I think the popular theory is that guy is messing with him hard yeah uh, that makaro the red priest there is just like yeah uh sure you're really cool victorian yeah, yeah. everything you're doing is great and then he's just gonna burn him as soon yeah. as he has a good i don't shot. i don't see things ending well for victorian i hope it's in a more climactic way than Qu- i mean like the quentin story like served its purpose for i sure. love that quentin ending though yeah I, I guess i did too like it really was like the anti-quest narrative um i mean i was i'm really you know i've always been really pro martel so i like had like there was some like part of my heart that kind of got broken when like all of the Martell plan sort yeah, of like that really with- that really devastated you. You Doran Martell is your favorite character in the books. Is this right? He's one of them. I really like the sort of like. Is that just like your kind of contrarian thing you like to say? <laughs> no, no. I like the idea that he's just been like working his schemes from his wheelchair, you know, for like decades. He also and, like, has finally, problems. He also has well, problems with his feet. So you. Can he also has problems with his feet. Exactly. So I really associate. You know, I, 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 you know, but he's just been like plotting and plotting and plotting for years. And like, you know, there's something cool about the idea of like all of these. This person who's able to like weave all of these strands together. Now, you know that. That's quickly proven to not be realistic, you know, and, and maybe that's, you know, certainly that's George R. R. Martin's point, right? Is that there's like no, you know, master plotter who's able to do that, except maybe, uh, or even including Littlefinger really can't, can't do that, right? Like events sort of get beyond everybody's control. Yeah. I think we, we're seeing that this season where he did not account for the Ramsey, uh, the Ramsey of it all. Uh, yeah. and it turns out that that is bad news for his relationship with Sansa. Uh, yeah. but, but just to get back to the, to the Yara Theon thing, and then we'll work 
work our way back to Danny and then we'll work our way back to the wall. Uh, yeah. I, I think with, with Theon and Yara, I think that they will serve a similar function to Victarion where they will also bring a fleet, but rather than being met with Dragonfire, I expect they are met with an alliance. I expect that they are met with a partnership and I think that you could see, if you think that Stannis Baratheon is going to die in the books, you know, in a different way than he dies yeah. in the show and uh, Asha, not Yara, in the books and Theon are under Baratheon captivity. I think you could see Danny heading to Westeros at some point, seeing them there, maybe some alliance forging on the mainland. And I think that this is just a different way to get there on the show. And so you think Euron is going to be an antagonist for this new uh, Danny Theon uh, Yara alliance? I think so. Um, George R. R. Martin read a chapter from Winds of Winter over the weekend at a comic convention in Baltimore, uh, and he read a chapter about Aaron uh, the Damp Hair. And I haven't I haven't gotten to read all of the details yet. I don't think there's a transcript or anything, but some details of it have emerged, and it just sounds like Euron is this absolute sort of dark sorcerer monster right. type of figure who he does not seem to be on the show um, was not terribly impressed with the king's moot i did appreciate that the king's moot was fast uh, <laughs> <laughs> i appreciated that uh, but i didn't i didn't love the the portrayal of euron there like he did seem you know he seemed a little broth rocky like he seemed like he was a little bit uh of that mode that we had seen earlier this season which maybe had just, just was him firing things up as a as a performer for the crowd but he just didn't seem dangerous in the same way that he was in the books or is in the books so i think that he could probably be met with a swift ending a la victarion i don't think that he is going to be a massive threat on the show whereas in the books i think that he's potentially going to be an end game bad guy yeah he was he's so cool in the books right with his like was his like super horn that like we can't even give him out. an eye patch what's yeah not even we don't have eye patch budget here yeah, and he's like his mysterious crew of Summer yeah. Islanders. Like he's like there's so much like narrative work being like put into like Euron being like mysterious and cool and awesome. And here he's like like a guy. Like hey, what's up, guy? You know, he's just like sort of like a guy who's kind of yeah, like a Brothrock. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I think that you know I I think he'll be made short work of on the show at some point. And I think that Yar and Theon, I see an alliance there. I guess it's not impossible that they just get you know removed immediately that's kind of the luck of the iron islanders i don't know theon has endured so much i, I feel like he's gonna be like a cowering miserable presence until the end of this entire show and danny has a lot of love for Unix. you know yeah she, yeah, yeah. God. So, so i think i think that that could work out so danny so danny i mean i think that ultimately if danny is going mad and if the inclusion of the mad king in this episode is to sort of start signaling that uh danny's actions are going to have terrible consequences for people in westeros i don't think that i would chalk it up to insanity as much as i would chalk it up to her being extremely misguided and you know messing something up and probably feeling enormous remorse for it eventually and maybe acting on that but i do wonder if we're being set up for danny you know uncaging a monster that she's not prepared for that seems to be a theme that's building across a bunch of stories right now yeah right and to your point like the theme of the entire the entire series seems to be like seems to be that um 
Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I always, I, I'd always been on board with like, you know, in my head, I had this like fantasy of, you know, Danny, John, and, you know, some third person, um, you know, swooping to victory, and, right, you know, right. toasting the White Walkers and, you know, everyone in Westeros celebrating, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it actually ends. <laughs> everyone in Westeros give, giving the yub nub. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> at the Ewok village at the end yub of it. Yub nub ending. That's yeah. what we all, yeah. <laughs> I don't think the yub nub ending is coming. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's go back to the wall it's because there's a huge thing that happens there book readers have been waiting for cold hands forever everybody yeah. has been waiting for the return of benjen stark uh i don't know how many people were still believing that cold hands and benjen stark were one and the same that was a popular theory for a long time but george r, r. martin seemingly debunked that uh, i think that there's you know reasons in the text to believe that they're different people i think cold hands is referred to as a lot older than benjen would be if benjen was transformed into some sort of icy monster but at the very least for the show they are the same guy what was your what was your reaction when you saw this happen Did, were you expecting this this week to see Benjamin? i was not i well yeah, i guess i was actually no of course i mean you had to be right because the 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 position that bran and asha were in was so untenable i'm sorry um not asha um What's uh, your name? With Mira, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mira, right, right, right. Um, it, they had there had to be some rescue. You know, they're north of the wall. Uh, they're being chased by death monsters. Like something has to come to their their aid. And and cold hands certainly seem to be like the sensible sort of uh, savior in that situation. I mean, I was pretty bummed, as you know, that he wasn't riding an elk. You know, <laughs> I really had a lot invested in that elk riding. Um, yeah, you know, come on, just like put you know, staple some horns on that on that horse. You know, <laughs> oh my like God. animal yeah. cruelty. It's not enough that we're killing all the dire wolves now we're stapling horns to horse heads yeah it could be cgi horns whatever <laughs> it doesn't have to be staples you know i'm not like set on the staples um but you know i i was delighted like i think cold hands has got you know he's such right he's everyone loves cold hands right he's a great um, character he's cool. yeah and I, yeah. I think that he was one of those people that was like okay so he's not going to be on the show Right. Because they, right. They, like the original cold hands in the book obviously comes with, uh, you know, to, to Bran and Gilly when they're, when they're fleeing. And so that was, that's, that never happened. Um, and, but, but yeah, I'm glad they kind of brought him in here. The fa- it was such a fast reveal that he was benching, you know, like no mystery about it, you know, like, yeah. Hey guys, Hey guys, I'm benching. There was just like, no, <laughs> guys, like, it's, guys it's, it's me. It's me. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm I expected a little bit of like cloak to tease. Yeah, I think that, you know, we've seen that, though. Every time that the show has had the opportunity to do one of those, like, double identities uh, right. from the books, like um, Arstan, you know, when, when Barristan the Bold right. is undercover for a while, I think that's hard to pull off in a visual medium like the like the television show. Yes. Uh, so I think that that's probably part of the reason why they waited so long on Cold Hands. Right. Because if they were merging the characters and if they knew that this was their Benjamin Stark answer, uh, that that would just be clear immediately. Um, it would be the same actor and everyone would know and they wanted to like kind of have it have this later game pop. Uh, but do you think in the books, do you think that it's it's definite now that this is the same character or do you think that they're going to be different characters in the books? Yeah, I, that's the crazy thing, right? Like, I mean, wouldn't that, that would be so interesting if it was like, like, how do you like sort that in your head? You know, if if they are if they are two different characters, like maybe Benjamin just died. You know, like that. I wouldn't put that past uh, uh, Martin. That you know, we just, just like, never see Benjamin Stark again. Yeah, like you know, it certainly would like fall into his you know his mo of like debunking popular fantasy tropes, right. like the mysterious guy who goes behind beyond the wall and like will he return in some way? Nope, he's dead. No. You know, like I wouldn't be that shocked by that being the twist that there is no twist um but you know i 
I had always hoped that that, that Benjamin and Cold Hands were one and the same. Uh, do you? What do you think? No, I agree. I I think. Um, I mean, I I tend to believe like if if Martin said, and I think it was in annotations. I don't know if it was a point blank question where he said no. Uh, I right. think it, I think it's in some annotated writing that he says it's not Benjamin. Um, I tend to believe that. I tend to think that yeah. Benjamin is, and I think that the show has often combined characters or given other people's storylines to other characters. This is not out of you know the realm of possibility on the sure. show. Certainly, Barristan yeah. the Bold should still be alive, and he should be running me right now if we were sticking purely to the books yes. but it's more dramatically exciting i guess for the show to give that to peter dinklage you know to give that to a guy who is so good at that who is so proven at that um in terms right. of what he has brought to the show so why not give the cold hands arc to benjen stark especially if that's not going to be an arc that's paid off in the books let's give people a little bit of something terry schwartz has been calling this the season of fan service uh and, I, I, and I don't yeah. know i don't know if she means that in a flattering way or not sometimes right. i don't think that it is uh but i think that she you know she looks at that as an example i think that she uh, i i don't know what her take is on it and i'm uh struggling to get what her exact take was on it last week but i think that she'd said that if benjen comes back or if cold hands comes back that's just a little bit fan servicey it's like let's give the people what they want this year now that we're off book now that we can do anything that we want do, do you see that at all does that feel does that sing true to you yeah, it does. And I think that's sort of why it's felt like maybe like frenetic to me or like, you know, it's like maybe like two on the nose where yeah. like all these things you're kind of like hoping for and thinking about. They're like hitting one after the other after the other. Um, you know, and you can, you know, if, because they're off book, right? Like they can do whatever. And, you know, you can totally see, you know, you know, they're reading the Reddit threads, you know, you know, you know, the show writers are going to Reddit and being like, Ooh, what's hot? What's cool. Right. You know, so they're probably taking as many ideas from Reddit as Reddit is getting from the show. Oh my God. That's such good news for Reddit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They are but it's probably true, right? Like, I mean, probably the writers are like, maybe not taking ideas, but at least, you know, seeing what people want. I think that they've probably at least paid attention to, I mean, a lot of the fan theories and everything like that, those have existed at this point uh, since, you know, there probably haven't been right. too many since A Dance with Dragons, which comes out right. in 2011. So most of, like, the bankable ideas have been in the ether for about five years now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they've got to be aware of most of that stuff. Right. And then, you know, I mean, I think there's right. They're fans, too. You know, they're there. And that's why they're, they're the greatest fans. They're, they're the greatest fans. They're the luckiest them. fans of A Song of Ice and Fire in the world. They get to turn <laughs> into a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think is going to happen to Cold Hands slash Benjamin Stark? Is he, a, is he a long-term character? Is this going to be a short arc? Is this just going to be to get Bran to the wall and that's it? I'm seeing, you know, like a similar, like a Barristan, you know, I think he's going to go right. Like he's probably, you know, goes in a, goes out in a blaze of glory. Try like when one like last push to get brand to the wall against the, the horde of encroaching uh, undead. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it depends on how much it matches the books. Cause in the books he can't, pass through the wall you know right he, he gets sam and gilly down to the wall uh and says tell bran to come outside i can't go yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i can't go in there pass this note yeah. <laughs> yeah go find bran tell him i'm waiting for him i'm not gonna wait forever yeah. uh so i i get the sense that if, if the show is following that then he would not be able to pass through um or he could die on the way you can't imagine that just because they blitzed away on a horse for a few minutes that they got that far away from the whites and yet they're still stopping 
down to enjoy a nice bowl of rabbit's blood. You got to uh, eat, you know, I like guess. You energy. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I guess you got to eat. Uh, what, what's your overall thinking on Bran um, in terms of his long-term importance to the story? Now that he is quote unquote, he is the three eyed Raven. You know, that's right. basically what he's been told is you are the guy now. Um, you know, putting aside what is time travel going to going to mean in this whole thing? How important is Bran going to be in the long run of this story? What do you see Bran's overarching role being? Oh my God, that, that's 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 an impossible question. What do you? I don't see? think it's you know, an impossible question. Really? Okay, okay. Uh, give me a second. I mean, it's a huge question, right? It's a like, huge question. Obviously, yeah. I mean, we know that he is he is charged up in a way yeah. that few characters are on this show. He can warg. He can green see. He yeah. can warg while he's green seeing. Yeah, uh, charged up. I like that. Yeah. You know, he's he's got he's got you know he's got the skills. He uh, he is the he is probably the most magically powerful human character that we have on the show right now, outside of. Me. Maybe uh, Melisandre, who can bring someone back to life, but that you know, those are, other than that, it's a lot of parlor tricks with her. Uh, so what? What is Brand's? And, and Brand is on the radar of the bad guy. You know, the Night King wants to get Brand. The Night King wants to take him out, right. or the Night King wants to partner with him is a, possi- a possibility that I floated out there. And um, so, like, right, Brand's pro- like probably primary influence. Will well, do you think it's going to be like a ba- like that? His main power is influencing the past in order to affect the present. Or, or is that just sort of like a one-off, like to your point of like where he goes wrong in trying to like tweak the past? Well, there's two schools of thought, I think. And, you know, one of them is that, you know, you look at Bran the Builder, the mythological right. character, Bran the Builder, as kind of the example of like, is Bran going to do something that builds up Westeros? And right. now I think we have to consider at least the possibility that that's literally going to be, he will be Bran the Builder and he will hop back in time and he's going to build the wall. I think the wall, the wall is coming down, right? But, but that that's the other piece of it too is the you don't put the wall on this show you don't put a gigantic massive piece of ice separating the worst creatures on the planet from I mean, uh, humanity so, is also right. not so great, but right, humanity, right. you know. Oh, that's why I thought you meant the worst creatures. Right, humanity. right, right. I was like, like the poor northerners. I was, yeah. look, I was looking for a good joke there, yeah. uh, but you don't put that there unless you plan on bringing that down. And I think, I think that wall has to come down eventually. But is that going to be Brand's fault? And is Brand, you know, not going to be Brand the builder? Is he going to be Brand the destroyer? Uh, and I think that the, those are the two theories. But I think that maybe now we ought to think about: Could he be both? Could he have been the guy who goes back in time? and builds up the wall in the first place somehow. And can he also be the guy who in the present day, before he goes off to do that in the past, time travel is weird, could he also be responsible for bringing down the wall? Could he be responsible for both things? But we don't actually see him being a person in the past, right? Just because he affects Hodor, you know, because he has an effect on Hodor, he's not an actual human in the past. But he's present. He's present there. He's present, right. It's like an astral projection, you know, like it's a, it's like a... he's not a person. He is not like, he is not Bran the Builder, right? He is not that person because that is a person who existed in the past. But he could warg into a human being who then, you know, everyone's like, hey, what's your name, human being who's doing this cool stuff? Or even White Walker, who seems to be really nice because you have a personality of like a 15-year-old boy. And he's like, oh, my name's Bran. And then stories are told about this guy. Uh, I think that that's not off the table. 
But also, I mean, we've seen that, like, I mean, again, that's, that seems to like violate to me some of like the, the historicity of the show, which I think makes it so rich, right? It's like you, you come into these houses, they all have incredibly rich traditions. There's an incredibly rich history. You know, there's a tradition of Rickons and, and Eddards and brands going back hundreds of generations. Yeah. And now and we're what saying, is- you know what? They're all the same guy. They're all this one kid. He did everything and uh, nothing, no one in the past was relevant. You know, I think that. To yeah. Me, he like, like looks that- at all the Starks and says, Hey, I've got some great names for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to me what I find compelling is the idea that like there is this rich history and we're seeing another generation and they're confronting the problems that their generation is is confronting and And you think you know, it would be it would it would undercut that story if Bran was sort of the architect of that. I was saying, oh, Bran like made the Mad King mad, and he also built the wall, right. and you know, like it's like uh, that becomes like too magical, you know, almost in a way that I feel like I do feel like it undercuts, like to, for me, what's what some of the richness of the world is, where there's like a real, a real history and you know, a legacy, and like, to say it's all like because of the five characters we're following, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, I I do think I I'm leaning toward that there's going to be some sort of literal Bran the Builder thing. Like that, I, that, I, that this brand is going to be brand the builder that he's going to be uh, that i don't know that there is an actual brand the builder so much as there is an idea of brand the builder that becomes a story that gets passed along over the generations and it does have roots in our brand stark going back and doing something great whether he gives the idea for the wall or builds the wall himself or something like that i don't think that we introduce this intense you know this very very game-changing plot device of time travel this late in the show unless it has some really big ramifications and not that the hodor thing wasn't huge that was very big but big on a really personal level um you know big in a small way right there has to be some huge plot thing that happens at a crucial moment where like bran goes back and and makes and some he did, he giant did a, yeah, thing. Yeah, he did a thing. He did so, a right. thing and everyone... So either it's he makes the Mad King mad or he build, does the wall, but he does something that does something. Or it's a third thing or a fourth thing or a fifth thing, but it's a, it's a thing. He did a right. thing and everyone is feeling the effects of the thing that he did. And maybe it was a bad thing or maybe it was a really good thing. Right. Um, but I, I feel like I, I just don't think that you introduce time travel in this way unless there is some sort of really lasting impact that Bran is going to have uh, with using that power. I agree, but it could be like... It also could be like him solving a contemporary problem, right? Like sure. he buries the horn of winter for Sam to find or right. something, you right. know, like that could be big. That would, that's big. That would be good. Um, do you think that because Bran was branded by the night King and he went on un- and if he goes underneath the wall, uh, can the night King follow him now? Is that, it has that negated all of like this magical power, like the night King, he touched Bran in the vision and the three eyed Raven says, Oh, he can find you now. He can come here now. Does that mean if Bran goes past the wall, is that how the white walkers get into Westeros? Uh, that's how I read the rules of that story. Isn't that what you, is that yeah. what you thought? Yeah, that's going to be awful. That's it's what, terrible. Yeah, brands responsible for so many bad things. But at least shouldn't if, he like, just chop off the arm? Yeah, oh yeah, he should chop off the arm. Yeah, and he only has one limb, one, one, work, one functioning yeah. limb. That's the that's his trajectory. Is that no needs, functioning limbs? Who needs limbs when you can fly? Yeah, seriously, you will never have limbs again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you will fly. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move. Let's move on from that. Is there anything in the Arya story that you uh, that you'd like to talk through? You know, it's been two weeks of, of theater in Bravos. Have you oh, enjoyed yeah. that? I know that you are a man who enjoys uh, your Shakespeare, as you referenced King yeah. earlier. Yeah. Well, I love the actor. King Richard Lear is Grant. my favorite Shakespeare, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, I love King Lear. I like The Tempest. The Tempest is magic. also good. The Tempest is good. Um, 
you know, I love Richard Grant, who's the head of the theater troupe. It seems crazy that they would like pull him out of whatever retirement he's been in just to like have like five minutes on, on the screen. You know that he's going to be in the next X-Men movie, Stephen. Oh, really? Is he? It seems uh, Mr. Sinister potentially spoiler alert ish, but it seems like common consensus is he is going to be Mr. Sinister. Oh, really? I was totally joking. movie. No, you're not. You're you're right. You're on. Richard Grant is Mr. Sinister. Yeah, he's been cast. Wow. So I always imagine Mr. Sinister is so stocky. Yeah, well, he's uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll put on weight. Maybe he'll have to have a giant, ridiculous costume. Yeah. Um, So you were surprised that they got him for that. Oh yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, the play. Uh, I think some people really disliked the play stuff. I thought it was fun. You know, I thought it was fun for like Arya to like learn sympathy through art and theater, right? Like, what a what a fun self congratulatory thing for like a TV <laughs> show to be like, oh, isn't isn't theater and art great? Like how it teaches us to become better human beings. Right. And then uh, Arya learns to like, you know, some kind of morality, right? Through through watching this show. Yeah, I think so. I think the big question about Arya's story right now is, you know, everyone's been wondering. How how do we get her back to Westeros? Like how do you tie her back into the main story? And I think that we got a really big hint of that this week with Arya. She, you know, does not go through on this order to assassinate Lady Crane, who she seems to think is a pretty swell lady, a neat lady does not want (laughs) to, does not want to kill Lady Crane. And she really outs the whole plot and says that one's trying to kill you. And the waif sees this all. And Jack and Hagar gives the waif the green light to, to kill Arya. Just don't make her, you know, don't, don't make her suffer. Arya retrieves needle. She blows out a candle. She is waiting. So what's the next move? Is it Arya versus the Waif? Is it Arya beating the Waif? How does she get back to Westeros now that we at least can assume, I think, that she's probably done with the Faceless Men? And she had that great line, my father is waiting for me. Which yeah, that was awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I saw a theory, you know, that that some people think that she's going to spare the wave because now that she's mercy, now that she's learned not to like, you know, that you can kill, but you don't have to kill, um, that like they're going to have a confrontation and she's going to spare the wave. What do you think of that? Like, I don't totally buy it, but what, what's your perspective? Well, do you think following that through is the Arya who would return to the Seven Kingdoms? Is she not going to be vengeful toward the remaining people on her list or is she looking to finish that business. I mean, we definitely saw her gain perspective from for Cersei, like specifically Cersei, right? Like, and so I think she's maybe not going to be as vengeful towards Cersei Lannister. You know, yeah. she's still got a few people on her hit list who are unredeemable or ir- irredeemable. So, unless she was uh, just relating that to her own personal tragedy of seeing what happened to Ned Stark, uh, of seeing what happened to her father, and her being like, you wouldn't just cry if your family member got brutally killed. You'd be angry and you'd want to do something about it. If that's less about mercy towards Cersei and more about relating her own feelings about what happened to her family that she still might have a score to settle with Cersei Lannister. You, so you think that like, screw it. Like, you know, I, I, I was, you don't, you don't think that, that, that there's any kind of like extension of sympathy. I kind of think that Arya is, you know, I, I think it's instructive to look at her blowing out the candle and now she's surrounded by darkness again. Right. And you know, is she, is she, is that what she's submerged in? Is there any escape from that for her? Or is she just really lost in her own Arya Starkness where she cannot help herself but be so angry and so personally tied up in this thing that she has to settle these scores. Is she really just like the Charles Bronson of Westeros and just like <laughs> needs to fulfill all of her death wishes? Yeah. And if so, this is a long way of answering your your question about that theory about saving the Waif. It's gotta imagine that after all of those wailings and getting tooled on by the Waif, that the Waif earned her way onto the list. 
Yeah. I just can imagine like a pretty epic moment being like, you know what? I'm not going to kill you. But I, I then, then like you've got the waif out there like hunting for you forever. Right. The waif has probably got to die. I feel like the waif's got to die. I, my question is, will, will Jake and Hagar die? Does she have to take care of that as well? Does she have to like torch the house of black and white basically to make sure that no one's coming after her again? Is that how dark Arya could go? Or is uh, that, that too just, far? That would seem such a weird, like, cause she's not dark Arya. She's like a light Arya. You know, she's like embraced the idea that you don't just like kill haphazardly. Um, I, I don't, I don't see her. I mean, I see your, your point about her being in dark. Darkness, but to me, that more means like directionless, you know, rather than like moral darkness. Yeah. And, um, and people are also looking at that possibly as um, her tactic against the waif. If the waif comes looking for her, Arya beat the waif when she was blind. Right. Uh, and the she, waif had sight. Yeah, yeah. And so like, is she just like going to, I mean, I don't know how we're going to convey that visually. Uh, right. If it's just like a, a pitch black action scene. Seriously? I mean, that's what most of the action scenes are anyway. So it's <laughs> not like, on Game of Thrones. I feel like Game of Thrones is pretty good. But like, I any, have so much trouble. It's like watching. any Batman movie. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Batman. Man, what's happening like there's a fist yeah um did Batman just kill a guy yeah, yeah, yeah exactly why did they do that uh, uh but what do you think Arya, in terms of if she gets back to westeros you know all of the starks seem to be getting together bran and benjen reunite yeah. john and sans are together they are aiming to go and save rickon uh that is you know the the existing starks as we know it other than Arya. do we bring Arya into that story does Arya continue to wander around doing her own thing do you think that we get Arya Stark back with House Stark by the end of the series? I think by the end of the season, probably, right? Like, by the that's end of the like, season. that's. An, oh, you don't think? I, I think she's like, in the end of the season, she's like coming to Westeros. Okay, you know, like, well, that's see that, her, but not, her story. But not, oh, sorry. Beaten, but not being with them physically. Oh, no. And, and Arya's, Arya's story is really revolved around King's Landing. I don't see like Arya somehow affecting, you know, I guess she did. I guess she was at, uh, in the book, she, she was at Winterfell, right? Yeah, well, she started I mean, but, there, yeah. No, no, I'm sorry, but like she she went back to Winterfell, right, with the Hound, oh. just as, uh, oh, no, I guess that wasn't Yeah, that was, that was uh, the twins, that was for the Red yeah. Wedding. Uh, yeah. There's a fake Arya at Winterfell in the books. Yeah, yeah. So how did that, yeah, okay, so, how, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it seems like sure, maybe she's going to take out a fray, like I can see that, but I don't see her going against the bold. Yeah. That seems like John's, John's score. Feels like that's going to be tied up by the time. With Sansa's score title. Yeah. Feels like that'll be tied up by the time Arya gets there. What's your take on everything that's happening in the North? That wasn't featured in the episode, but Jon Snow seemingly rallying the troops, Sansa becoming, you know, a a leader in her own right. Are you liking that story and where are you predicting it's going to go? Yeah. I love, you know, Sansa being the one to rally the troops. Are you into the queen in the North? I love that. I think that's so much better than, I mean, because like John is almost the, so expected right. to take on that role that for Sansa to do it, especially given where she started in this series as really sort of like, you know, girly girl. Yeah. Like that's, I just, I just love that. You know, I think the Sansa one, one Alliance is the Alliance everyone is waiting for. <laughs> like together they're unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about people who are going to be riding dragons in this, but why haven't we really discussed who's going to be riding on top of the a giant. giant's head? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> one one is steering one one forward. Yeah, I think so. Right. It makes sense. One one's going to definitely be in snowball, right? Uh, is that what we call uh, the battle at Winterfell? That's the snowball. Is that not what we call the battle? I don't know. I, ha- I haven't heard that before, but it sounds like it would be right. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was no, like. I may have uh, just missed the term. I may have just okay. missed it. Um, yeah, of course. Like he just like has to like, he has to come in like a wrecking ball. You know, he yeah. has to like knock into like the side of a castle and people get to come in and uh, I don't know who's going to pay for that once the Starks <laughs> regain control. Yeah. I feel like it's a temporary sacrifice that you can make. It's cosmetic injury. You can heal that. 
there's a lot of structural damage. You know, the, the people who are going to be the best off after this are going to be the Masons. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be gainfully employed yeah. for a very long time. How do you see Ramsey Bolton dying? Because he's obviously got to go. It's going to right. Like it's got to be some one-on-one fight between him and John. One, right. One, one on one, one fight. One, one. <laughs> Although Sansa has to kill him. I don't know. I don't know. I want Sansa to kill him. Right. Just like punch him in the face. I don't remember where I, 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 don't, I don't remember where I said this, but on one of the podcasts recently, uh, I think it was on the halftime show we did with Jason Somerville uh, was, I, I feel like um, it would be, it would be great to have ghost eat, Ramsey. Oh my God, that would be great, right? Because like yeah. you can give the victory to John, like the the right bastard or, wins, but his dire wolf eats Ramsey, and so Ramsey gets eaten by a dog. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that would be great. That would be great. What's it, are you? Are you? You? You think Shaggy Dog is dead, or is that the fake? A fake wolf? Okay, skull? so we'll, well, let's talk this through. So this is the whole like uh, Great Northern conspiracy thing, um, yeah. which you know it's a head scratcher for me because I would love to see it. I don't think we're getting fray pies, unfortunately, which sucks because that's, yeah. that's such a great touch in the books. Um, I don't. Um, I don't know. I mean, why would they hand Rickon Stark over to Ramsey Bolton? That is such a risk, you know, it, to put him in such immediate physical danger. OSHA is dead in five seconds of being there. Well, I, uh, before that episode, like right after, right after the previous episode, I was like, oh, it's it's totally the conspiracy. It makes total sense. You know, fake wolf head. You know, you give Rickon over. You know, you get, you know, but he's protected by OSHA. But then OSHA's plan is terrible. <laughs> now OSHA's plan is like, I'm going to go walk in there and like hope he's got a knife that I can kill him with and that he's not like, you know, going to defend himself at all. Like OSHA's like scheme, if that is a scheme, is just an awful one. Um, so if that's like the great Northern conspiracy, like it deserves to fail. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, was that the whole plan? It's like, it's going to be over in five minutes. We've got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No one can resist OSHA's charms. We know from experience. Uh, and if that wasn't the plan, you know, like, uh, like what is the plan? Yeah. The castle is terrible. So um, I, I still have some hopes, you know, I'm, I, I'm an umber partisan. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I've got some hopes that the umbers aren't like total, you know, and like the whole thing with, um, I mean, I'm sure you guys talked about this with him not like refusing to, yeah, like the vow. language is like very loose where yeah. like he doesn't like have to like really besmirch his honor, which at right. this point it's Ramsey Bolton. Just lie to the guy. Yeah. You know? It reminded me of coach Wade on survivor. Like <laughs> he always like has very most roundabout swear as well. The plan is the plan that we agreed on when we first made the plan. You right. know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, coach umber, I think, uh, uh, yeah. you know, that's definitely how he was talking was like, you yeah. know, very noncommittal. So I think that there's, I think that there's hope to it. Do you think that somebody other than Ramsey wrote the pink letter on the show? Um, this is a popular theory from the books that somebody else, um, Jessica Lee, who was on here a couple of weeks ago, suggested that maybe it was Mance Raider in the books. Um, one of the popular ones I've heard is that it's Stannis Baratheon and the language comes from Theon, who is his captive. Uh, do you think that it is just very straightforwardly Ramsey who wrote the note both in the books and the show or one or the other? Oh, wow. I, I actually that never even crossed my mind. I, I'm like bad behind. On you the should read into thing. it. It's a really fun. It's a fun read. Uh, the idea that somebody else crafted the pink letter. It's like almost that like the way that Ramsey speaks in it is too Ramsey. It's like too right on the uh, over the top. Yeah, like, where it's just like too much about like come master. See. Yeah, come and yeah. see all of that. Um, so you don't have I, any major thoughts on I, that. I liked it as a Ramsey thing, you know, because it did sort of like get into his like, I thought that it brought out Ramsey's Right, Ramsey's um, 
weakness, right? Like right. his, his flaw is his overconfidence is that he seeks out conflict where he doesn't need it. Um, and the pink ladder to me isn't as a great example, like a physical example of Ramsey's flaw. Um, but that said, it certainly would be smart of someone else to do. Were you sad to see Roose Bolton go? I was again, like it was so, it was so, I mean, I guess like, and again, like that's sort of another example of like, you know, the weapons that you try to unleash coming back to haunt you, you know, he used Ramsey and like, you know, Ramsey got out of his control. Um, and just in the same way that like any weapon, like is getting out of people's control in in this, in this show. But you know, I I love, you know, I like Bruce as a villain. He was, he was a good villain. Yeah. Yeah, he was fun. Uh, all right, let's talk King's Landing super quick. Um, we already talked about how we think King's Landing is boned, that it's not going to go over well there. But what are your thoughts on the High Sparrow story? And I mean, that you know that really plays out mostly across A Feast for Crows in the book. Uh, the Cersei chapters are really leaning in on yeah. that. Her Walk of Atonement comes in dance. Um, it's go- it, I really thought that maybe it was going to get tied up this week. And then, you know, High right. Sparrow... I, I, I thought there was going to be some kind of conflict. Yeah, but, but High High Sparrow just like pulls out his Tommen card and it's like, nope, crown in the faith. We're, we're linked together. Are you enjoying this? I know Rob uh, is really out on it. He really does not care for this story at all. I'm a little, I mean, like I want to see Marjorie do some tricks, right? Yeah. Like I, this was, I thought like, this has got to be Marjorie's plot, right? Was yeah, that's that- what we were saying. Antonio Mazzaro filled in on the live show this week and we both agreed that Marjorie is clearly angling at something. And like when she sees the Tyrells march up, she's probably for a split second thing like, oh, do I have to go through with my plan or can I let them, you know, kill the High Sparrow? And my plan is like 100% slam dunk. I'm getting out of here. Let's just go with that. Right, right. And there's got to be some, I mean, when I, when, when, when the show first aired, like, oh, the faith and the crown are, are united. I was like, oh, they've all sort of been united and like, no big deal. It seems like more like a, a nominal change than any other one. But actually, uh, I guess I was wrong, right? Like it, it's a huge change. Now the high star has all kinds of credibility to the point where the King's guard is wearing new breastplates yeah. with the seven pointed star instead of the crown. Like again, like, you know, the, not, I guess not the Masons, but like the, the goldsmiths are really doing over. <laughs> Yeah, anyone who's like in fashion, uh, like anyone who's in like fashion or building yeah. things, I feel like it's a good time to be alive in Westeros. Yeah. So I, I thought that like I expected. I mean, I'm glad I was ready for the conflict. I'm a little done with the high sparrow thing too. Um, but but I I, uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see where this goes. I like the idea too. It would have been maybe too neat if the Tyrells and the Lannisters got together and it worked out. You know, that would be like what an easy resolution of this long-standing conflict. Right. But. For them to get together, you know, you know, after Mace Tyrell's speech, like Mace Tyrell can't be the hero of this of this story, you know, like after that, like rousing speech that he gave. Um, so I was not. Yeah, I, I, I want to see. I'm so excited for like Marjorie, like to, to flip over her cards and be like, oh, looks, you know, straight flush. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Uh, yeah. do you, what do you think? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think the Kugain Bowl is going to happen? Are we are we going to get that? Oh, God, is, yeah. You, th- you think it's going to be the, the trial by combat is going to go forward and the mountain is going to go up against the hound and the hound is going to be the faith's champion. Do you think that's where we're going to go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the mountain has to kill. I'm sorry. The hound has to at least fight the mountain, right? Like that's his whole, his whole like life has been about this. If he doesn't get that, then there's like some real narrative can I say blue balls on yeah, this? Yeah, you can say that. You can say narrative blue balls. All right, All right. Okay. blue balls of the heart, as they say blue, in True Detective. Blue balls of the heart. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think Clegane. What do you? Oh, right, right. I think I think that they will definitely fight. I'm skeptical if it's going to be trial by combat, but I think that you know at some point in the future of this show, the Hound is coming back, and he is you know either going to be summoned for trial by combat, or the Mountain will have caused all sorts of chaos, and he's unleashed now, and he and the Hound will cross paths, and there will be an epic fight there that the Hound will win. Yeah, I I concur. I or think, they, they both go down. I think that the Hound is coming back next week, Stephen. I've, I thought it was going to be this week, actually. So I, I uh, I'm looking forward to it next week. And he's going to be he's going to be like a farmer in the in the he could be right, a farmer. That, that's part clothes. of the Riverlands yeah. plot. Right? Yeah. Like that's in Brienne's Wandering. She like sees him and and uh, and he's like a right like a yeah, humble it's, farmer. It's, it's the whole Quiet Isle thing um, yeah. with the elder brother who has you know he has all of these former knights who are now penitent and there's the grave digger and it is believed strongly that that is the Hound. The name of the next episode is the Broken Man, which is is uh has to be a reference yeah. to this really great monologue delivered by Septon Maribold in a feast for crows one of the one of the highlights of that book by far uh is this great you know sort of condemnation of what war does to people and how it just like completely tears people through the mud and the muck and brings them to hell and back into hell again uh and Ian McShane who is supposed to be on the show for one episode this season he what a was, weird use of Ian McShane it's a strange use but he he talked a lot in press like probably two much of describing his character as a guy who sounds like he is some sort of um, you know sure. mixture some sort of composite of the elder brother and Septon Maribold so yeah. I think that we're getting that speech next week I think that the hound is going to come back and I think that the world will be a better place for it so we haven't talked about the Riverlands plot at all yeah, um, let's, let's wrap up there uh, unless you want to talk at all about Samuel Tarly well, the only thing I want to say about the Sam plot is that does this mean no old town? Like, you know, I like one of my favorite parts of the book is, and maybe it's because I like the sort of this mystique of like, I love it too. Al- scheming alchemists in like a book lined atmosphere. You know, I just like, you can just kind of like picture all the couches that they have, you know, like tufted Pleather. couches. Yeah. And like, I, I, you know, I'm kind of bummed because, you know, uh, it, obviously that would be like a really deep subplot for them to go down, but I'm really curious what's going to happen in old town in the books. And, uh, are you, what, what do you think? Are you, are you, uh, I mean, I we're love, not going to old town. Right? I love it in the books. I love it in the books. And I also love, because that's where Jack and Hagar seems to be, you know, yes. it's like the Jack whole, like, H- yeah, I'm Pate the pig boy, you know, like that's definitely him. Um, and who, why is he there? And what is he going to do? Does he want some like candles? Is he going to do some glass candles yeah. lit? And like, he knew about something or other, right? He knew Sam was coming or whatever like sam's there and you've got you know one of the um one of the sand snakes is probably yeah 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 yeah. she's like in disguise as a man like so that's all really really fun in the book i don't know if sam is still planning on going to old town and just like putting gilly and little sam up somewhere or if he is now saying ah screw it gonna go back up north and now the whole purpose of this was to get another valyrian sword in the mix well so now i have got a question for you okay and this is like maybe a little bit like into the fan fiction territory but i saw this you this love theory. you love this i well i do i mean i'm becoming like a uh, game of thrones makes me like it more because like sometimes they're like so out of left field and then they're right yeah you know um but that sam is actually going to be azor high what and, 
And the, the thinking is right. Like Gurm is never going you know, Martin is never going to, um, let like, it's like too predictable if Jon Snow is like Azora High or, you know, or some other like huge big character. But Sam has a history of slaying whites. Uh-huh. Now he's got this like crazy Valerian seal sword called, you know, Heartsbane. And, um, he could be the, the guy who gets like the flaming sword. Oh my, I'm the prince who was promised. Yeah. I would is love that, that. Is that possible? I don't think it's probable. Right. But that <laughs> would be think, such I, like a. I like, think anything's possible, and it would yeah. be it would be greatly amusing. You're not into it. I I'm into it on a personal level because I love and kind of am Samuel Tarley. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like t- it would take the sidekick. And like make, Samuel Tarley is like the most recognizable aspects of you and me. Like he's yeah. really smart and he's tubby. Yeah, uh, yeah, and like I feel like he is he is a great character who I and also very craven like I am. Uh, and I I love him to death. And I think that he's had a lot of really great growth across the show. And I think that he's going to have a big role to play. Um, but I think if you were looking at it in terms of the books, like how is he going to be that guy in Old Town? But I right. think one of the things is like you know three heads has the dragon and you know three 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 and let's like there's multiple interpretations of so many different prophecies that i think a lot of different people can fill fulfill a lot of different conditions and you know if it's not so much that like everyone has to go north by the end of this story to fight the white walkers but there are multiple threats on multiple fronts and there's right. like an old town threat um that sam seems to be the hero at the heart of that story so, so you think he is, he could be going to old town I think in, I think that it's not impossible. I thought that would really be narrative blue balls. Yeah, to not to not show us old town. Old town. Yeah, but it's like that's a whole lot to establish with like it's not lot. that much left. There's like four episodes this or I guess right like six episodes yeah, this season we're, and we're then um, seven seven eight nine ten that and then done. you know however many next season slash two seasons. There's only supposedly between ten and fifteen episodes when this is all done here. This season. Yeah, so uh, it's a lot to do a whole new place, but um, you know maybe maybe I would love it. I would it'd love be such it. a bummer to not see old town like to. A yeah. promise that he's going to old town and we're like yes old town yes and then we never go <laughs> is that what they, yeah that's what we would say all right uh, so that's enough i guess all right, yeah so is, let's is talk randall, riverland is, is randall tarley coming for that sword ah who cares if he does, <laughs> let him let him try uh i don't know i don't care about randall tarley let's talk yeah. about the riverlands walter right. Frey was back this week was that fun he's got to die he's got to go He's got to go. Uh, yeah, I, I I was sure he would go before Roose Bolton went, but uh, I was wrong. Um, yeah, he's got to go at some point in time. You know, he's such a loathsome character. You know, we've got to see him. Him. He's like one of the unredeemable characters, right? Like, oh, yeah, there's yeah, a few, yeah. like you know, with there's like, no so, like perspective chapter that could get you yeah. on Walter Frey's side. Yeah, like him and and Ramsey. You know, these are the people who like you. Not you're not gonna ever like them. We're not going to see like oh the reason he did the red wedding was you know for some good like it's like the, you know not gonna have a kingslayer moment um yeah i you know i really didn't you know the the fight in the books in the riverlands is not a fight at all right basically like uh jamie shows up he like bring brings out at at tully and is like uh i'm gonna kill at tully and like every day right it's like yeah it's, it's yeah. like the dread pirate robert, robert story it's like good night wesley hope you sleep well uh, yeah. most likely won't <laughs> kill you in the morning yeah yeah and then they, they like hand over the castle and in the, in the is that a, i guess it's not a spoiler spoiler okay and blackfish escapes is that, i mean I, do you see it kind of hewing closely to that narrative yeah 
yeah, I don't know what they're doing with the Blackfish. I mean, right now in the books, the Blackfish's whereabouts are unknown. Like, no yeah. one has any idea what that guy is up to. Uh, here on the show, he obviously has made uh, he's made landfall at River Run. He's taken it over again. It's some I, I don't remember the name of the character who's got the siege on lock uh, on the Tully side of things in the books. Uh, it's but like I, some. Yeah. It's some. Um, it's one of the phrase I think. But it's not. It's not. You know, it's not the Blackfish. I don't think. Um, so I don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, the most interesting aspect of this to me is that I really didn't think we were ever going to do this. Like, I thought that this was going to be a thing that on the show just wasn't that important. Yeah, yeah. But we're, you know, we're sending Brienne there. Uh, Jamie is on his way there. Preview shows that uh, Jamie is there next week. Um, So this is, you know, the cliffhanger that we have with those two characters in the books right now is that Brienne, who had been captured by the Brotherhood and Lady Stoneheart and summoned to, you know, ordered to either die and hang or go find Jamie Lannister and bring him to be killed. She chooses to go find Jamie Lannister. (laughs) As one would. Yeah. As one one would. And like they march off and it's like, is Jamie Lannister about to be like marched to his death? And is that the story that we're getting on the show now? Is that something that we should be considering that? Could we be going toward Lady Stoneheart this year? I definitely think so. You I mean, think so? So you think that oh, we will yeah. see Michelle Fairley rep- reprise her role as Catelyn Stark, a.k.a. Lady Stoneheart. You are a Michelle Fairley truther. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a Michelle truther. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, they, they mentioned the Brotherhood without banners in the in this last episode, right? right? Um, you know, that's that's the uh, Lady Stoneheart takes that over from um, uh, Beric Dondarrion, right. right? After after Beric dies, and you know, all of that, all of that narrative attention that they gave the Brotherhood in the earlier seasons, you know, would you got to pay that off somehow? You can't just be like, ah, forget about them. They're they're, they're up, they're up, whatever they're up to, they're up to, you know, they're they're having fun. Right. Um, but do you Lady Stoneheart has to be Stoneheart at the head of it on the show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, talk about fan service. If you don't give them Lady Stoneheart and don't give us Lady Stoneheart, you know, I think that's you're gonna have some some rioting in the on the internet. Um There's been rioting ever since like season three when it should have happened in the finale there. Like that's kind of the place, or even season four would have been the place for her to show up. And the fact that she hadn't shown up yet, I think a lot of people were it's never gonna happen, it's never gonna happen. But maybe it was because they were trying to save the big resurrection reveal for Jon Snow. And now that that's out of the way, it's like anything's possible and would you be so shocked it's almost like you would be more shocked that they actually did lady stoneheart now well and also like if you revealed caitlin stark as lady stoneheart at the end of season three but then she has nothing to do for three seasons you know like (laughs) that's even weirder like what's going on with that huge character you just revealed at the end of this season you know and then like you don't bring her back until the river riverlands uh, plot in season six like i think they had to hold her for that reason like if they knew similar to like the cold hands thing yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can't reveal a character until you've got something for the character to do. That's almost worse, right? Just like be like, ah, see ya. Um, and so I think like they must have plotted out, right? How this is going to, how, how the whole thing works, knowing that they're not going to get to this plot until, um, until this, this part of the, uh, the story, right? Presumably Jamie first shows up at River Run. He negotiates, uh, Blackfish's stand down right. and then. And then has a run in with Brienne. That would be incredible. If that's yeah. like the final scene of season six, yeah. can you imagine the internet? I'm going to be yeah. writing a lot that night. Yeah, that's good. Good night for you. It's or bad. Yeah. Great night. No, great night for business. It'll be great. Yeah. It'll yeah. be a, a late start to the live podcast uh, because I will be too busy working. But yeah, uh, it'd be very good for Game of Thrones. I, I don't know. I'm I've just I feel like I've been burned by the Lady really? Stoneheart thing before. 
uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm happier thinking it's not going to happen so that if it does happen, I will be extraordinarily pleased and surprised. Wow. So you do, you, do you actually think it won't, you actually think it might not, I lean, I, I lean toward it not happening. Wow. I, it, it seems so certain to me. Like, how could you not oh. have her on with it? It's, it's I hope uh, you're right. I really, do. I hope, I hope I'm right. I, I hope, hope you're right. I really do. Anything else from game of Thrones before we wrap up here, anything we didn't touch on from this season or anything else, any crazy fan theory that you have that you want to touch on while we're here? Oh my gosh. That's the big so many. Everything. So many things. I know. Yeah. It's like it's like when someone asks you what your favorite movie is. You're like, What's your favorite movie? Can't even answer that. You no, there's too many movies. I, 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 you like, have I ever seen a movie? I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Um, I, this was great. Thank you so much for having me on. Super fun to to guest host. I know I'm not as a great, you know, certainly. You're as no thorough. Terry Schwartz. You're no. I'm Terry no Terry Schwartz. Schwartz. I but you're, do not have her, her wisdom at all or her knowledge. As from a replacement know it all, I can tell you, you are a rep- replacement thrown at all level, at least. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Very fun. Uh, hashtag, I like the backfish. Uh, <laughs> I, also, I also liked Yub Nub ending. I thought was fun. So either one of those would be great. Tweet that our way. Stevens at Stephen Fishbach. I'm at Round Howard. Terry Schwartz will be back next week. Hey Stephen, did you hear that Post Show Recaps is nominated for not one but two podcast awards? Yeah, it's incredible. You must be so proud. I'm, I'm so very, excited about. I'm it. very excited. I'm very happy about this. We're nominated in the TV and film as well as the People's Choice categories at PodcastAwards.com. You can vote. Once per day, please do if you are so inclined. It's very easy. You just have to verify your email address after you vote. Sometimes that email gets sent to your spam filter, so look there if you don't see it immediately. We would really appreciate your votes. We have some fun stuff planned. We are doing daily podcasts promoting the Road to the Podcast Awards. And if we win, we will bring back Lost Lives, a long-lost podcast that we used to do here on Post Show Recaps. If we win one award, we will bring that back this summer. And if we win both... We're going to do a full-scale Lost Season 1 rewatch podcast here on Posture Recaps. That's, wow. the, that's the plan. Uh, that's it'll be newbie-friendly as well as friendly for people who have seen the whole series of Lost. That's so exciting. It's going to be great. Well, not so exciting for you. You made fun of Lost earlier, so I know your true feelings. Well, yeah. That's another podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's a podcast for another day. All right. All right, Stephen. Great stuff. Thanks for joining. Very fun. Really happy to have you. I think this was better than all of our American Horror Story podcasts. <laughs> Combined, yeah. It's <laughs> the best moments. The only thing that yeah. would have been better is if Evan Peters had shown up in this episode of Game of Thrones and we could have talked about him. Yeah. That would have been nice. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.